Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm more excited to represent Team Canada in Syracuse and my family than I am to represent myself as Justin. My time at Syracuse has been phenomenal. I really, really enjoy my time at Syracuse and the whole community, the athletic department, the academic department treated me nothing less than family over there. And to me, like just being able to go out and compete at the Olympics on this stage, I feel like my way of saying thank you for all you've done for me is to represent them in the best light possible. Fans of Syracuse University's cross-country and track and field teams know how fast Justin Knight is. But later this month, the 2018 graduate from Syracuse's Falk College of Sport and Human Dynamics hopes to show the world that he's got world-class speed on the grandest of stages, the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. It's been a long, sometimes trying process for Knight, who rewrote the cross-country and track and field record books during his time at Syracuse University. With his sights set on a gold medal in the 5,000 meters for Team Canada, Knight takes the time to join us here on the podcast. Justin, how are you holding up these days? Hey, thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm doing great. We're getting some good training in. The summers in Virginia are very hot, so I can't complain about that, but I'm just hanging out. Take us inside your uh, your mindset. You know, How have you been preparing and training for these games? And of course, as we all know, COVID delayed them one year. I'm sure that might have been a little bit of a difficult process having to wait for the year delay to get on the stage here. Yeah, so my mindset, honestly, um, I wouldn't say it completely changed, but it went back to what it used to be, where now all I do is focus on winning and um, just being the best athlete that I can be. Uh, that being said, like, you know, in track and field, you can't win every single event. So I, I know that heading in, but when I'm working hard training at practice and when I go into the race, I have that mentality of we're going to try to win this race. And um, yeah, COVID, when COVID happened, like that was very tough. That was difficult. Um, very thankful that they decided to postpone the games rather than cancel it entirely. But um, I think I did a lot of growing during COVID and it actually benefited me. Uh, to be a better athlete today. How did you use that shutdown to better yourself, to work on your mental and your physical abilities? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely tested me mentally and physically. Um, I, from March all the way to October, I actually decided that I was only going to train by myself, even though I have teammates here in Virginia. And that was a decision that was made solely on my behalf, um, based with the information that was known to the public at the time in March, I knew that COVID would affect your lungs and your heart. And it wasn't entirely sure how it was being spread around. And um, I felt like, you know, some of my teammates, not to say that they weren't taking it seriously, but I felt like they weren't, you know, using the same precautions that I was using. So in order to make sure that I was safe and the people in my building were safe, I decided that, um, you know, I trained by myself because only I could be responsible for me. And um, with that, actually, when I when I trained at Syracuse, when I trained like my early years as a pro, um, having your teammates around it always is a huge benefit. Like it gives you a huge boost. And I think just being able to run by myself, it taught me how to hold myself accountable for the paces and how to mentally become stronger, even though it's not uh, it's not easy at all. And 
through those months training, like it was, it was very tough, but I grew a lot from it. And luckily, like you can see in the races, like mentally and physically, I'm a lot stronger than I was before. Yeah. It's a, it's a great point you bring up. You don't have that. I mean, you probably often were the pace setter, but you don't have that pace setter example, you know, when you're running by yourself, how did you replicate that? How would you manage to find a way to elevate your game while you were still running by yourself? Did you have benchmarks you wanted to hit for each split or each part of the run? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it depends what we were doing when we were on solo runs. uh, I I love running with my headphones in. Like if I'm not running with my teammates, I'll listen to like music that would get my heart pumping and stuff like that and kind of hype me up. But when I was in the workouts, like we always know that the pace that we're supposed to hit and um, I would have to like play mind games with myself. Like sometimes my shadow would be slightly in front of me and I would have to pretend that that shadow was a person and I was chasing it. (laughs) it sounds really weird, but like, you know, when you're desperate, you're desperate. And I had to come up with all these little ideas just to give myself some extra motivation. And, you know, a lot of my friends actually on the global stage were competing very well. They had a lot of great times that they, uh, that they achieved, whether it was like my race or other races that I don't necessarily compete in. I use that as motivation too, just because when you see your friends doing great, obviously you're happy for them, but you want to be a part of the crew too. So um, lots of motivation on that front. You set personal bests and Olympic qualifying times in both the 1500 and the 5,000 clearly, you know, impressive results. How did you see that training pay off in those results at the big races? Yeah. So actually during the COVID year, which felt like three years, but during, <laughs> during that, during that training cycle, um, I've actually never had a summer to build a base and in track and field and running, building a base means like working on your strength. So you'll run a lot more mileage than you would regularly run during the year because you're not necessarily competing. And the reason why I didn't, I never really built a base was because when my teammates at Syracuse were done running, uh, after NCAAs, they just went home and they were able to take their break and build their base. But I just kept competing throughout the summer, like for Canada and stuff. So I wouldn't, I would get a break, but by the time my break was over, it was time to go back to Syracuse and then I'd slowly get into things. But, um, this year with the pandemic, it's like, there was no competitions going on and I was able to get a lot stronger. I was running more mileage. And, um, what that did for me was, I did get a lot stronger. So when you saw me in these races, even though I ran like 1500s, I was strong enough to hold a faster pace for a longer period of time. So that was the big difference. I think that was made uh, during the COVID segment of the year. And well, that's still going on, but that, that definitely helped me out a lot. It's interesting. You bring up staying stronger and having, you know, seeing, seeing yourself uh, making the strides you were going for not being able to race. I mean, COVID affected our whole society. There were no races for more than a year. What was that aha moment? Like the, was there a race when you took the, took to the track and everything clicked and it really showed you that, man, I'm making some good strides here. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think my first race back, uh, or official race back. Cause we, we had like a time trial in the summer in the mile, but like it was nobody but our teammates. It might as well have been practice. But uh, my first race back after like the COVID season was uh, the New Balance Grand Prix indoors. And um, fun fact, at that meet back in, I think I ran it in 2019, but I, that's where my worst race was ran. I got dead last. 
ran 403. It was, and that was a huge turning point in my career as well. But when I went back for that race to start my season, I was very nervous just because like I had my worst race ever there. And, um, turns out like I ran a pretty simple, like 813 in the two mile and I was milliseconds off the Canadian record. And, um, it just felt so easy. It felt like I felt so strong. It felt like essentially like it was just practice. And at that point in time, I was like, wow, I got a lot better this year. So we got to keep working so I can actually do something really special at the end. The race you're referencing is the new balance indoor grand prix. It's in Boston. Justin, you only not only had the slowest pace you've had at a competitive race of four minutes and three seconds, you took a souvenir from that race. How did that bib motivate you day in and day out? Oh man. And I, I could get the bib right now. I have it on my fridge. <laughs> you still have it. I love it. I still have it. And that's the thing. Like the one thing, like I'm not a sore loser or anything, but I like to use stuff as motivation. And people always ask me like, Oh, Justin, what was it like when you won NCAAs or what was it like when you ran well at world champs in 2017? And more or less, I can kind of tell you the feeling and like, you might not get a long answer out of me, but when I talk about the races where I made a mistake and I underperformed, like I can tell you like detail for detail, what happened and what went wrong. And that's just the type of person and the athlete that I've become. And, um, in that race, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was severely not uh, prepared for that race. Um, I was not in good shape. It was no sequel. It was no secret for people that were training with me and my coaches that I wasn't in good shape. And um, it was a huge eye opener. Like I had like my own stuff that I was going through. And then on the athletic side, um, I just wasn't holding myself accountable. There's little things in life that or in training that you got to do to make sure that you're ready to go. Um, I wasn't doing the core that I was accustomed to doing, like my core routine. I wasn't going for two runs a day. Um, I wasn't necessarily eating healthy food. I was eating out at restaurants and uh, junk food all the time. So all that stuff kind of added up. And then when I got on the line, um, man, I just got my butt kicked. And um, I was really happy for that moment because I feel like Towards the end of my time at Syracuse, I was super, I was extremely blessed and fortunate to have the career that I did over there. And I think that I just, for a brief second, I got a little bit complacent. And I thought that I could easily be the guy I was at Syracuse on the pro level without necessarily putting the work in. And that was a big reminder that you worked really hard to become that person that you were at Syracuse and you got to keep doing that on the bigger stage. It's an incredible story. And I love the fact that that's the only time, at least that my records would go back that you finished in last place in a yeah. race and you've got the bibs still with you. And, and that th- those, those memories, you know, you're right that they linger longer, the losses yeah. and setbacks than, than the victories, I, because they can motivate you in ways that a victory can't. Exactly. And that's why I keep it on my fridge. I have, um, I have 403 written on it. I have dead last, or last place written on it. And, um, you know, there's times where as an athlete, like I'm always motivated and I want to do well, but you know, there's some days you wake up and you're like, Oh man, I'm sore today or I'm tired. And as I leave my apartment every day before practice, I see that bib on the fridge. And I always tell myself, you don't ever want to be in that position again. So today you have the opportunity to make sure that you put in the work 
to make sure that you're never going to be in that position again. So go out there and be the best person you can be. And it's just, I love seeing it every day before I leave. It's awesome. And, and I guarantee that when you take the stage in Tokyo, you're going to have that hunger, that drive. And, you know, it, it's impressive, Justin, to see the way you've rounded into form. I mean, you had such a decorated career at Syracuse, but it didn't, it wasn't just an easy transition. How did you go from running with blazing speed for the Qs to transitioning to going against adults who have been doing this for years and years? What was that transition like? Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing about track and field, and I'll, I'll take it one step further because in high school, going from a Canadian high school in a Canadian system to the NCAA, that was crazy in itself because of the Americans, you guys have so many elite athletes that are all within like the same realm of each other and uh, capable of doing all amazing things. And for me, I wasn't accustomed to having hundreds and hundreds of athletes that are just as good as each other. Um, and I think the one thing, like when I was, in high school coming to the NCAA, I didn't really know too much about track and field. I didn't know who was who, and I didn't know who was fast and who wasn't. So when I went out there, I competed with no fear, with the expectation that um, in a, in a humble way that like you're Justin and like, you know what you're capable of. So try to win this race. And on the pro level, obviously I've been running enough to kind of know the big names, but I try to keep that same mentality of, you are only responsible for you. You know how hard you've been working this whole time. I don't know what they're doing at those other training groups and stuff like that, but I know what I'm doing. And based off of what I've been doing, you can accomplish something special. So I think at the end of the day, you just have to believe in yourself and have to have that faith. Um, it's important to be humble at the same time and handle yourself with grace, but you got to really believe in yourself to make it to that next level. I don't think people would have faulted you, Justin, for hanging your head. Um, this Olympic dream you've been pursuing, it's really a five-year realization. Uh, and yeah. I know you know where I'm going with this. You know, you're still a student at Syracuse, and you come painstakingly close to making the <laughs> Olympic team one yeah. second away. I mean, that's such a small, negligible that's difference. Like between... <laughs> exactly. Literally. <laughs> How did that experience uh how did you use that as motivation? Did you ever allow yourself to hang your head or was that a moment where it's like, all right, you know, I, I haven't even scratched my surface of potential for my greatness. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, my mentality throughout my whole time in Syracuse was obviously you race your heart out, but if things don't go your way and trust me, it took me a long time to win an NCAA championship. I've been consistent, but it took me a while, like my senior year to win an individual title. And, um, you know, races don't always go your way. Sometimes you win and sometimes you don't get the time you want. And sometimes you get the time you want, but you don't win. And the way I kind of handle things is just that when I'm disappointed with a race that I've competed at, I'll take my one or two days to feel sorry for myself and maybe feel like, oh, God, why me? Like, why did that happen to me? Why couldn't I have been better? But after those two days, it's back to work. And I don't have to forget about what happened in that race but I, I like to remember and as I said like use that as motivation okay Justin you missed the Olympics last time by one second how are you going to go back to practice and make sure that that never happens again how are you going to train differently how are you going to hold yourself accountable and honestly um world championships and was the next year in 2017 and they made the standard even harder 
for the world championships than it was for the Olympics. And I dipped well below the standard. So I think like, yeah, for sure. I was sad for like maybe two days, but at the end of the day, it's like, that's my, that's a part of my history now. It's not going to change. I don't have a friend with a time machine. I'm sure you don't either. And if you do let me know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's just a part of your history and you can't rewrite history, but you can have an input on what your future is going to look like. And that's the way I kind of just try to attack my career. It's an amazingly fresh perspective for a 24 year old who's getting ready for his first Olympic games. I know we mentioned uh, the 5,000 is the race you're going to be competing in before we focus on that at the Olympics. Was there a thought of trying to go for that double of the 15 and the 5,000? For sure. 100%. And I was definitely entertaining it all over social media and hinting that I wanted to do it. Um, I think that I, I've, as I said, like I've grown a lot mentally and physically um, in the past year and a half, I think. And I was prepared to try to give it a go. Um, unfortunately, as we, as we talked about, like the schedule that the Olympic committee set out, um, it would make doubling in those events very, very, very hard to do. And, um, I think at this point in my career, I think I don't want to have two mediocre performances and I'd rather just have one great performance. And, and maybe next time, like the schedule changes, cause it's never usually been like that, but maybe next next Olympics, they'll change it back. And maybe you'll see a double for me in the future. I know the, the beauty is you've got many hopeful more Olympiads to go to show off your amazing speed. You've already put a great reputation forward in the national running circuit with your national championships and your performances at world championships, but how different, how special is it going to be to represent team Canada and Syracuse at the Olympics? It's going to be so special, honestly. And I feel like I'm more excited to represent team Canada in Syracuse and my family than I am to represent myself as Justin, because, you know, all those people as in my family and, you know, the communities as Syracuse and team Canada that I mentioned, they've done so much for me in my career and in my growth as a human being. Um, My time at Syracuse has been phenomenal. Um, Obviously, like there's struggles and stuff here and there. Like there's sometimes I've been stressed, like I was a student, student athlete, like anybody else. But um, I really, really enjoy my time at Syracuse and the whole community, the athletic department, the academic department treated me nothing less than family over there. And to me, like just being able to go out and compete at the Olympics on this stage, I feel like my way of saying thank you for all you've done for me is to represent them in the best light possible. And um, I'm really excited to do that. And just being a fan of Syracuse athletics in general, like I'm pretty sure I didn't miss a football game. I didn't miss a basketball game on TV uh, when it was playing. And, you know, I feel like on this stage and you guys reaching out to me and doing these interviews, I feel like I'm back in the good old days when I was an athlete for you guys. So Um, It's just very heartwarming. And then, of course, like representing Team Canada, um, you know, the nation I was born in. It's just it's just special. I I couldn't have dreamed of this when I was a kid. You always have dreams as a kid of doing something special and uh, doing something for your community. And I think just being able to put on that jersey and represent Team Canada is something like none other. And it's great because when you are running, 
Orange Nation and Team Canada and your family, you're going to have visible representation. Tell us about those bead bracelets on your <laughs> right wrist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not everybody can see it, but you can see it. So I got Syracuse over here and I have Knight. Um, you know, a friend of mine, he has his own company where uh, these beads are actually like, I don't know how to say it, but like they're, they're very, um, it's from Kenya. So people, you'll see a lot of people in Kenya and they're known for running. Like they'll wear bracelets like this. Like it's a, it's a pretty popular thing over there. And these were actually made like handcrafted in Kenya for me. And the owner of the company, he's a friend of mine. And he said like, Oh, like I want to do something special to you. What would you like to be represented on these beads? And for the first one, I, it says night. And then it has like the Canadian flag in red and white. And uh, the second one is Syracuse and it's, you know, Syracuse written in an orange and a blue background. And um, it's nice because every time I go to practice and stuff like that, and not to say I look at my hands every time I go to practice, but it just goes to show that like, no matter where I go, I got my family on my wrist and I got my other family being Syracuse on my wrist. And, you know, I, I hold them very dear to my heart. So it's really nice just to be able to showcase them on the world stage. I love it. I love the representation. I love the fact that we can feel like we're right there with you on your right wrist while you're running in Tokyo. Now, not to ramp up the pressure, Justin, but I got to ask you, what will make a successful Olympic Games for you in Tokyo? What are your goals heading into the Games? Man, um, that's a good question. I think just to sum it up without putting specifics is I'm trying to be competitive. Anything that I do, any, any race that I race in, whether a lot of people don't understand like the 1500 is not necessarily my event, but just the competitiveness in me, like allows me to put myself in a position to win or run these like crazy fast times in that event. So I think like going to the Olympics, like in order for me to be successful, I need to be competitive. I need to at least have a shot and I need to be uh, in position at some point in the race to win. And I think, um, that's what I've been training for. Uh, the last diamond league race that I went into, uh, was supposed to be a replica of what the final should look like at the Olympics. And I was able to place fifth, which was pretty decent, but you know, I'm hoping to do better than that, uh, on a bigger scale. Yeah. That fifth place finish. I want to talk about that a little bit because according to our crack research team, only 33 runners have ever run a faster 5,000 meter time, uh, than oh, no you did way. in that race. <laughs> That, that's really impressive, Justin. I mean, that's in the cool. history of running, 33 people. And I know that your teammate Mohamed uh, was fourth place in Rio in 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the fastest North American in that race besides yourself. Pretty positive takeaways from that last of the uh, per, uh, the races in Italy. Yeah, that was that was a huge confidence booster. Obviously, the time that we ran was, was really special for, for us individually and for Canada as a whole to have Canada be the home to the one in two fastest runners in North America is something that we, I might be wrong when I say that, but I don't know. I don't know how often that that happens. You know, a USA is such a dominant country, especially in, in pretty much every sport that I don't really know if that's been a thing before. And um, for us to accomplish that, but I think the most important thing in that race was Usually when I've gone to these diamond leagues or even at the world champs event, I find myself in the final or not the final, but like I find myself in the races in the chase pack and then having to work my way up and might maybe not even catching like the uh, initial pack of runners. And uh, when I was in Italy this time, I made it known that 
no, I'm going to stay with the lead pack. And I was in like top five position the entire race. And um, I think that was a huge, that was a really big deal for me because it's shown how much I've grown and how much stronger I've gotten and how much faster I've gotten. And so um, for my first 5K in two years, that, that wasn't bad to start off on that note. And hopefully we can improve on that. Yeah, man, you shaved 18 seconds off of your previous record in the 5,000. And I love the fact that they were setting a blistering pace and yet you were still keeping up with them. I know one of the areas I've seen a quote from you where you wanted to improve upon was having something in the tank for that, the final stretch of the race to make sure that you're not gassed and and winded when it comes to that pivotal part of the race. How have you been able to work on that skill? Yeah, for sure. So definitely during the year when I was running all those 1500s before the 5k, that, that was the reason we were running it. We were trying to work on our foot speed. Um, funny enough though, we were trying to work on our foot speed, but we didn't necessarily work on speed before those races, but I was able to, you know, finish with some really quick times and out of the runners that train in America, I mean, I'm not American, but me and this other kid who's a friend of mine were ranked the first and second fastest 1500 meters in, in North America for this year. That was a big deal for me. And then um, even heading into the race, I'm not going to lie, like with about one and a half laps to go, that's where I didn't necessarily finish with the kick that I thought I was going to have. And if I had, you know, I would have been a little bit closer. Well, I was close to the front, but I would have definitely been like in contention to win probably. But um, coming back, it all comes down to the speed is there, but I just need to get a little, little bit stronger just so I can hold that pace. So we've been doing a good job of um, getting a little bit stronger since after that race. And hopefully it shows when I go to Tokyo. Now, Justin, be honest with us. When you're lining up in the starters block in Tokyo, how nervous are you going to (laughs) be? Man, you know, that's a great question. I feel like there's been times when I've been really nervous, but then at the end of the day, if you believe in yourself and if you know what you're capable of doing, sometimes you just got to relax, you know, and I've learned this sometimes it's okay to be a little bit nervous because to be quite frank with you, the races that I'm not nervous for are the races that I run horrible in. So that new balance grand Prix race that I was telling you about, I was not nervous in any way, shape or form. And I got dead last. So (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know what, like when I line up, when I go to the race and like moments before the gun goes off, like obviously there's like some butterflies going through my system, but after the gun goes off, after you take like three, four steps, it's amazing how like you're no longer nervous and you're just locked in on having a good race. So I think that's kind of the feeling that I'm going to have. Are you going to allow yourself a chance to maybe not right in the starter's block, but to soak in the atmosphere of this is your first Olympics and the best of the best. You guys have had to overcome so much unlike any Olympian in the past with the pandemic and the postponement. Do you allow yourself a chance to take in how special that scene's going to be? To be honest, I haven't. I haven't. Even when it comes to making the Olympic team, like it hasn't necessarily hit me yet. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I think like, well, one, when like we're talking about making the Olympic team, like the goals that I've set for myself, that was just something that I had to do. Like in order for me to accomplish the goals that I set out for myself in 2021, making the Olympic team is just something that I had to do to accomplish those goals. 
And um, when we talk about lining up on the line, like, you know, I'm sure that it might hit me, but as I'm looking at it from right now, I am a man on a mission. And to me, it, it's not just any race because like, there's going to be a great group, a talented group of guys, some people that I've raced before, some people I haven't, but in my head, like I'm not necessarily focused on, I feel bad saying this, but like having a great time. I'm so focused and I'm really, really excited to just go out there and race and do something special physically. So hopefully, you know, after the races are done and I'll have my moment to just relax. But I think when I get on that line, I'm just so determined and so focused to just have a good showing that um, I might not feel the jitters of being like, oh, this is the Olympics. <laughs> you know what I find fascinating, Justin, is we're, we're sitting here talking with Justin Knight, who the accolades at Syracuse that you had for, for cross country and track and field. I mean, you won two individual NCAA titles, one for cross country, one for the 5,000 indoor the three of the four championships that Syracuse has in track and field and cross country, you personally were involved with. You won oh, 11 <laughs> individual. Eight. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's crazy that like, you know, 75% of our national championships, Justin Knight had a large role in those. You're a 10 time all American 11 time individual ACC champion. And you didn't get started with the sport until your sophomore year of high school. That's crazy. How quickly the success, <laughs> at least to me, seems like it came. Yeah. I, I mean, just I'm sorry. I was shocked. I was listening to all the accolades and like, I remember my whole career at Syracuse, but I didn't think like I, I won or got all American that many times. It's, it's kind of interesting to hear it. <laughs> did it, I mean, did it surprise you how quickly it seemed like you took to track because to go from sophomore year high school, picking up the sport, now you're an Olympian. That's just seems like it's a crazy fast ascension. Yeah. I think, um, obviously I was definitely blessed to, to be given a talent when I first got into track, but that only takes you so far. You have to work hard. So I was, I was blessed to be good enough to, to make the team, but then the hard work came from there. And um, honestly, like looking back and just like the mentality that I had, um, I used to play basketball and volleyball before, and I, I was pretty decent at basketball. I was, I was decent at volleyball too, but I was never like the best guy on my team, at least from high school uh, for my career in high school. And I feel like when I got involved in track, it was almost like, almost like God giving me like a second chance to be great at something. And in those periods of times in basketball, I remember my dad telling me like, Oh, there's always someone out there working harder than you. And like, I would just kind of laugh and be like, Oh, don't worry. I got this. Like nobody can ball handle like me, blah, 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 blah. And guys got better than me, right? So, <laughs> but when it came to track, like, I, I never took it for granted. I, obviously, I can't do extra sessions and extra workouts like basketball players can because I would physically become fatigued and it would affect, uh, it would affect my performance. But any time that I went to practice, I made sure that I gave nothing less than my best and I held myself accountable. And you know, even too, I, I had phenomenal coaches in high school and also in college and my college coach is still my coach now. So um, I think I've just been blessed with, I wouldn't say an easy path, but a great support system to kind of help me become the person that I am. What kind of special place does Syracuse hold for you? Oh man, <laughs> I could write a whole book about how special Syracuse is to me because I just did so much growing there. I met some of my great friends there my teammates honestly like you could ask people that are on my team now there's kids that 
obviously I have a lot of teammates that are from Syracuse on my team right now, but then there's kids that, you know, went to Ole Miss or Texas or Michigan and they feel like they went to Syracuse because I talk about my experiences there so much that they know, uh, <laughs> they know Ernie Davis, you know, dining hall, they know Shaw, they know, uh, you know, sweet road and all these other places that I talk about when I talk about Syracuse. So, and mother's cupboard, they know about that too. So <laughs> honestly, like I just had a phenomenal time. And I think the one thing that when we bring up Syracuse that really hits me is I can't emphasize this enough is that it is a family over there and it's the athletic department. It's the academic uh, department and the faculty and staff. It's the community. I've never had so much support from people um, that weren't necessarily like my family before. And even like when you look at it in terms of track and field, we don't host meets in Syracuse. Like I'm not running in the carrier dome. However, like there's been times where I'm walking through Wegmans and someone stops me. He's like, Hey, you're Justin. I can't believe it. Like you did this, this and that for Syracuse. Oh my gosh. Like my kids look up to you, blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, it's just such a heartwarming place. Like people just were always friendly towards me and my teammates and my friends when I was over there. So man, I, I love Syracuse. I, it's such a hard question because like when you bring up like what does Syracuse mean to you? Like there's so much thoughts that are going through my mind that it's hard to say it in words, but it's a really special place to me for me. And there's a reason why I frequented visiting so often prior to the pandemic, because I, I just love the campus. I love the city and I love the people that live there. Now you mentioned uh, you're obviously representing team Canada for the Olympics and, you know, Toronto is your, your home city. What made you choose Syracuse to study at Falk? Man, you know, that's a great question. Syracuse, so honestly, like there was a lot of schools that I was looking at and it was very tough because I started the recruiting process pretty late because I started running pretty late. And um, the reason why I chose Syracuse, there's so many different reasons. Like one, it was close enough and far enough from home where, you know, I could have that college life, but also be able to see my family whenever I felt like I needed to. And like, they were always there to support me. They could come visit whenever, uh, being only four hours away. Fun fact, I've actually got a ticket from Megabus back to Toronto for $1. I got the famous $1. <laughs> ticket. So that, that was pretty cool for me. Um, <laughs> so that was one of the reasons. The other one, you know, my family, like we stress or my parents, I stress too, but like, you know, from when I was a kid, our, my parents always articulated that academics is the key to success. Like you got to make sure that you're academically sound, like it opens up so many doors and like, you have to take that seriously. And when it came down to choosing colleges is I wanted to make sure that I chose a college that was respected on both sides of the border. Syracuse is obviously very well known in America for numerous reasons, but in Canada too, it's very well-respected. It's a well-respected college. So that was another reason why I chose Syracuse because, you know, who knows? I, when I was picking schools, I didn't know what came after Syracuse. I didn't know if it was running or if I go back to Canada and get like a regular job. So um, I had that in the back of my mind as well. And, um, you know, the other reason why I chose Syracuse was because, as I said, it felt like an extension of family over there. And even though I only lived four hours away, I was coming to a new country where I didn't necessarily know anyone. And it was a talk between my parents, myself, 
And we all felt that they were comfortable with sending me there because they got to meet the AD at the time, Dr. Gross. They met the coaches. Uh, they met like the entire staff within the athletic department. And they felt like they were going to take care of their, their baby, I guess you can say. So there was a lot of great reasons. Obviously, Coach Fox, in terms of running, um, I always looked at his stats. And even though he didn't have like national titles to his name, like some of the other schools that have a more rich history of running, um, what he did with Syracuse in such a short period of time, turning them from a team that struggled to make NCAAs to a team that got 15th and 10th and was had multiple all or a couple all Americans, I guess you could say he really developed those athletes into something special. And I felt that if he was able to do that with them, I wonder what he can do with me. So you got the long answer. That's generally why I chose Syracuse. With your degree in social work, what do you think you might do with that degree down the road once your competitive running career is over with? There's a couple of options that I have, like being a teacher would be cool. Being a coach would be awesome. But um, even a guidance counselor, I find myself even during my time at Syracuse and now um, oftentimes people reach out to me on advice on like, you know, how to be a great runner. How do how did you balance academics and athletics when you're in school? Or I had this decision ahead of me. Like, what are the stuff that I have to look out for to make sure that I make the best choice for me? And a lot of people have gotten back to me and said, like, Justin, like without your help, I wouldn't have been able to see some of the, the details that I'm like that were presented in front of me. And um, they felt like they really benefited from me giving them advice. So I think like being a guidance counselor would be something that I'd be interested in doing. But, you know, hypothetically, if I didn't do any of that stuff, obviously, like doing some philanthropy or like, you know, stuff like that would just be really interesting to do. I don't know. I'm not sure what I want to do in the future. <laughs> I have a couple plans that I want to do. One thing I haven't been able to do it yet, but, and this is like kind of before my running career is over. I think like how I got into running is so unique and interesting that I would love to be able to either like, I don't know how I would do it, but I want to get kids to be able to try any sport, any activity or any, you know, after school activity in, in general, just to like, say, go out and try something like you never know what you're going to be good at. And you'll never know like what's waiting for you in the future. So you should try anything. And I'd love to like find a way to support kids at school so that they have the opportunity to do that. And, um, you know, hopefully after this year or uh, in the years to come, I can find a way to actually have an impact and, uh, you know, get kids to try stuff that they in general might not have tried because they might not have had the opportunity. Well, your story would certainly resonate. I mean, your, your accomplishments with the orange again, you know, 11 individual ACC titles, 10 all American honors, two individual (laughs) national championships. The last was in the 5,000 meters, your same race you're doing in Tokyo coming up later on this month, Justin, I hope we're able to say we have an Olympic champion wearing the orange. Look for him with that blue and orange Syracuse bead on his right wrist, along with the Canadian one as well. I love, love seeing that. And I really hope you nothing but the best at the Olympics. It's a great spotlight. Take advantage of it and try to soak it in as much as you can while still being focused on kicking butt and getting that gold medal. (laughs) I will. I promise. I promise. Thank you for having me.
Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. <laughs>